Okay, uh, so we're talking to uh, Dr. Lee Merritt today. Um, uh, Dr. Merritt is a graduate of the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York, uh, where she was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. She completed an orthopedic surgery residency in the United States Navy and served nine years as a Navy physician and surgeon before returning to Rochester, where she was uh, the only woman to be appointed as the Louis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. Dr. Merritt has been in the private practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995, has served on the board of the Arizona Medical Association, and is past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> sure. So, uh, right off the bat, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, my show is very much based around, you know, when I do stuff like this uh, around terrain theory and, and the whole virus thing um, going on. And I know recently, I mean, you, you've obviously had a, had a career uh, that was very based in, in germ theory and, and you know, yeah. the idea of viruses and everything. And you, and you recently came out and, uh, you know, made, made some statements on the, on the veracity of the whole virus claim. Um, and I, I, and I rewatched your, uh, one specific interview with, uh, the Corona committee and, um, you know, Reiner Fulmick, and you made some statements on, on the veracity of viruses to them. And I, so I wanted to know, uh, in that interview, you know, Dr. Uh, Woodard, he Dr. Woodard of, doesn't go along with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was not having it. I think a direct quote was, uh, no unicorns do exist. Uh, even. <laughs> so I wanted to know what your feelings were on that interview um, in the moment and after the interview and, you know, where you are on, on terrain right now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah, you know, I, and Dr. Woldar is one of the heroes, I think, in this whole thing. Because, but, but, but having said that, you know, I mean, I've been in medicine 45 years. It takes a while to wrap your head around new it, not just a new piece of information, but a whole new phase shift. It's like a shift that you really have to have to come to appreciate. And it's really like there are just lots of I still have questions. I mean, I still have questions how way things work. What I can absolutely say without fear of, of of worry that I'm saying too much is that the psychopaths in charge of this whole uh, biologic medical nightmare that we're in um, have known a lot of things and have obscured the truth for years. There's been a purposeful, I think, a purposeful lying to us on so many fronts that we need to go back and question everything. I mean, we need to go back and question everything. The fact that what the thing that woke me up early on was the found the fact that I, I found early on when they started condemning hydroxychloroquine. Um, and anything, you know, I thought, well, it's just orange man bad. They don't like Trump. But really, it was much more than that. And when I really went back and researched it, I discovered that we knew about these agents, this type of, of treatment, that we knew that there were things, assuming the virus theory to be correct at that time, we knew about things that would treat these so-called viral diseases. Now, we made 
come to the understanding that, that they aren't really viral diseases, but whatever they are, we had treatment for them. And we had treatment that goes way back and we knew about it and we'd done it, you know, consistently. So the fact that, that none of, that my colleagues didn't know about it, that none of us were taught this in medical school, usually what happens is when you're a resident or you're in, in science in some way in medicine, what will happen is they'll, they'll come up with something that they find out works whether it's a surgical procedure. I mean, let's just take the virus whole thing off the bar, bar for a second, just to make it simple. They come up with a new surgical way of fixing a fracture because I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I get that. They come up with like in, intramedullary rotting. I happen to be around when that was developed. So they come up with this new procedure and it takes a while. At first, there are only a few people talking about it. Then there's some more people talking about it. Then it's going through studies at the university level. And then pretty soon, we, you know, the people at the university now have heard about it, have talked about it. Maybe some of the residents have been in on this stuff, but it doesn't get out to the general population for a while. So I get it that, that we may not have um, known about this treatment for actual practical purposes, but you can't tell me that 30 and 40 years, nobody was talking about it. There was a suppression of the literature. And I'm just going to start there because there had to be a willful uh, suppression of knowledge. And that's part of the problem we have here. And there's a bunch of ways you can suppress knowledge. And I think when it comes to this whole issue with viruses, one of the ways, you know, it's like the old phrase, if I can't, if I, what, what is it? If I can't, uh, you know, basically tell the whole story, I can just baffle them with bullshit. <laughs> one of the problems is you can make something so complex and it sounds so good. It's just wrong. You know, it, it, you know, for every, I think it's H.L. Mencken said, for every complex human problem, there's a simple solution that's elegant, you know, simple and usually wrong, you know, something like that. So that's the problem, is that this sounds so good, and it sounds internally consistent. It's just not, there's something very wrong about it. And we just were lied to, and I, and I asked my, my son, who's a recently minted uh, surgeon, I asked him, did you ever hear that we had these treatments? Nope. I asked my friend who was a 45 year professor of medicine at a major university, you know, not me, it's an orthopedic surgeon out in private practice. You know, I understand I may not have heard this, but really these guys, and he hadn't heard about it. So there's something very wrong. So then we get to the issue of viruses. I think the, I think the thing that, that really, woke me up was when I really, really went back and looked at, I mean, I'd heard Dr. Kaufman and I'd heard Dr. Cowan speak and I kind of took it under advisement. It's like so many things, you know, I, although the, all of us maybe speaking in dissent against the COVID narrative are kind of pictured by the media as these nutcases that don't know anything. Really what we do is we study science all the time. And, yeah. you know, you put these little, you hear something or you read something, you put one data point back here, but you don't jump on one with one data point. You start researching and thinking about it more. And so I heard Cohen, Cohen and, and Kaufman talk about this and, and they're very, very good speakers and they're very consistent about this. But there was just so much in the world that I had come to understand that didn't fit. I just couldn't buy it, you know. So then I went back and I really looked at uh, the, the pandemic of 1918 with new new eyes because I'd studied bioweapons, uh, you know, unofficially and semi-officially um, when I was on the Navy Research Advisory Committee, which is a congressional subcommittee that looks at technology for the military, for the Navy specifically. And I started looking at a lot of things because I thought it was kind of my job to be informed about these things. And 
so I thought I knew a lot about the 1918 pandemic, but when I really kind of found a lot of different things, old journals, and I just kind of went around from spot to spot, what I discovered is the one thing they could never prove. I mean, they, unlike this time, in this outbreak, we, it was very obvious that they were not doing the things they should have been doing to figure out what's going on. Yeah. That was a very obvious, there, there was a very obvious kind of whitewash of what was going on here. They didn't do, they didn't do autopsies. They didn't really have a test. They just, they made things up. It just looked like they were making things up and they were, it was like, they were purposely not telling us what they knew. So it raised the, raised the suspicion flags all over the place. So I went back and I looked at 1918 and I realized they really did try to do it right back then. They sent William Welch and a crack team of pathologists from the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and they really tried to understand what this disease was. They did autopsies, and the autopsies didn't show classic bacterial pneumonia. They showed something else. They showed hemorrhagic lungs, which we can talk about. But then they tried to prove transmission, and this is what got my attention. How did they do it? I mean, they here you have people dying all over the place. So this took a lot of, uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming they were really volunteers, but this is bravery on the parts of other people to actually volunteer yeah. for these studies. They would put their faces right down onto, you know, sick and dying people and have them breathe on them, have them cough on them. And when that didn't transmit the disease, then they took, you know, nose uh, juices on a, on a swab, for, you know, of some type and put it in these guys' nose and they still couldn't put it, they couldn't get it transmitted. And, and I mean, you probably know all this, but I, this was not stuff that I had appreciated before. And it's coming out now. We're going back in time and looking. They did. They tried. They tried actually in spinning this stuff down and injecting it into other people, which is really that's guts ball in a day when you didn't have antibiotics. That's really that's quite impressive. They could not transmit it. And then horses were getting it and it didn't transmit there. What the heck is going on? Well, you know, there are other there are other reasons for this to have, to have happened, and, and I can go into that if you want. But my point is, is that they never the one thing they never proved there, they never proved transmission. And in point of fact, you had a very similar triad to what is happening here. You had a change in electrification. You had a toxic pharmacologic agent in this case it was aspirin in 1918 yeah that caused a lot of problems didn't it the aspirin yeah well they recommended giving it by the hand as much as you needed to get the temperature down in these young guys now these guys were mounting a temperature to the response to these to the toxin toxic whatever they were exposed to but the problem is that they were not allowed to mount that fever because they were told by bear aspirin had lost its patents so they convinced the american medical association and doctors to just use bayer aspirin anytime you had a fever and in these journals you can find these people writing about they talk about doctors putting handfuls of aspirin into these young guys mouths well what happened is you had friable lungs that were easily damaged probably due to the electrification and what was the third thing just like now they had an unusual um that was the first time they vaccinated the troops so they had a multivalent vaccine with smallpox, and I think it was, I think it was, um, there was a diphtheria, maybe. It was, there were like three things that they put in this vaccine, I think. Hmm. But it was the first time we'd ever done that. So it was very crude, pioneering vaccine points. They made a bunch of it. They, they pushed it up, mandated it for all the, all the members, all the, all the active duty. And, and so those were the guys that were going down, but they could never pinpoint they could never prove transmission they 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 came up with all this data but they could never really figure out what it was going on but 
one of the things that was noticeable by people in the communities that were in volunteering, because these are young guys, they're away from home. And so the churches in the local area, not near Fort Riley, Kansas and places, they would go in and they would volunteer to, to help take care of the ill um, and keep them company, you know, as they're dying and things like that, because their families weren't there. And they noticed that, you know, there were other people that were getting sick, but only the people that had the vaccine were dying. Hmm. That's an interesting point. And but it wasn't actually making... smallpox, right? Necessarily. It was just like goop of like whatever culture they had come up with. Right. Right. I mean, they had very crude, but they do, but they, again, they were giving them something yeah. that was, that was, that was, you know, maybe taking, taking immune, uh, their immune system was concentrated on dealing with that when it should have been mm -hmm. concentrating on other things. And yeah. then it was made worse with the doctors giving them aspirin. So I think there were a lot of factors that went together here because horses, again, were getting it and they couldn't transmit it to horses. So there is a problem when we look at transmission. The other problem with transmission is the idea that the way that we didn't have flu really, and this is out of Arthur Furstenberg's book, uh, that yeah. we didn't have flu until about 1857 when we laid the telegram lines. We had flu, but it was it was um, literally a worldwide phenomenon that happened so fast that ships didn't travel that fast. You couldn't travel. It couldn't spread from person to person across the continents the way that it, it broke out in the days before electrification. So it was times was of, of solar maximum too, right? right. It had to do with, to it, 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 was, yeah. it was correlated by a, by a Winnipeg um, astronomer to solar flares and, and, and things like the solar, solar activity. So mm -hmm. it charged the ionosphere. But the point is, in terms of transmission, it could not have been human-to-human -human transmission. That's my point. There's had to be another, another, another reason. And, and it's so funny that when you look at these documents, and I've got one somewhere on my computer, you look at it, in spite of the fact they say all this stuff about how, you know, that it was true, then they, they conclude that because people were close together, packed in, in these military barracks and traveling around, that that spread the disease. Even... <laughs> No, they, they couldn't prove it. They couldn't transmit it between two people at the bedside. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, and, and either that's, that's purposeful, willful misinformation, or it's just that people, once you have your mind, and this is what I think many of us have, once you have a mindset of this is the way the world is, it's really hard to say, oh, wait, we don't have airborne infectious diseases. Yeah. We've never had them. I mean, that is what I, I, I've, I really have come to the conclusion that is the big lie that um, we can talk about exosomes and, and have this kind of discussion about what transmits disease. And I can believe that we can transmit disease through touch. Um, you know, we know that you can transmit uh, parasites and, and diarrheal illness and all sorts of stuff by, by other means. But the issue really is are, is there evidence of any disease that actually has been proven to be transmitted through the air? So that's my, that's the real heart of the matter, in my opinion, because it's a great psychologic point to convince people of this. And we've always, every time we thought there was, look at, it turned out not to be true. Um, I, the one, the one I still struggle with a little bit is smallpox. Um, but the, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, when we, we we thought that Black Plague was airborne, right? That's why the doctors wore those big masks and they had the the, the, the vinegar 
uh, sponge attached to the nose. That's my avatar on on uh, Telegram and Truth Social. Is this big the big mask of the, of the plague doctor? And it put yeah. vinegar sponge on the end because they thought it would keep the whatever the little animalcules, the unicorns, from getting in through this <laughs> the miniature microscopic unicorns for getting into your breathing. Okay, that people breathed on each other. Well, the problem in those days was that they had lice and mice. It turned out to be you know body lice, and it was transmitted and and. I got to tell you, I believe that they know this because if you look at the at what has happened over the last few decades that I've been watching bioweapon research, it's really taken on an arthropod vector focus. They're really very interested in arthropods, in putting diseases into insects and getting them out there. Look at these, the now we're de- depositing mosquitoes all over the place, right? Yeah. Because they couldn't do it airborne. I, I don't think they could. They tried. I mean, they tried all sorts of things. And the two ways they can transmit this so-called disease is, I think, through insects, through arthropods, and through nanotech. I should say three things, I guess, nanotech, and through um, injection. They got to get in your skin. Well, how would that work, even with insects? I mean, if there's no transmission of, of diseases... I mean, well, there's transmission of diseases. It's not by air and it's, and it's not necessarily, I mean, it's a toxin. Let's just think about this. Right. Um, you know, rickettsial disease, Lyme disease, whatever it is. Um, I mean, the bubonic plague was a bacillus, right? Mm-hmm. But it was transmitted through insects. So that's what's happening in some cases. Now, Smallpox, I still have a problem with. I have to say, I, I, I really want to talk to Andy Kaufman again about that. Because there is so such, and again, unless you believe the stories are made up, um, it's a little hard to figure how that, but it could be something as simple as you transmit on surfaces and the smallpox, the, the smallpox genetic stuff, whatever it is, is left on surfaces and lingers for a long time. So anybody walking by it can be, you know, anybody touching that can be, can get it. The, the, the story, the, the problem, the story I have that's the problem is the last uh, episode of smallpox in Europe. And the story goes that a guy comes from Pakistan, I think it was, where they still had smallpox outbreaks, but they hadn't had one in Europe for 15 years. And this guy gets really sick. He's got a big fever, but he doesn't have the classic smallpox what we call exanthem. He doesn't have the, the skin lesions. So they hadn't seen, seen smallpox recently, and he just comes up with a very sick person with a high fever. So they put him on an isolation ward. And this isolation ward, if you look at those old-time World War II hospitals, I actually trained in these years ago. I mean, they're the long hallway, you know, enough for beds on either side of this long hallway, you know, 30 yards long. It seemed like it went on forever. And, uh, and so, and, but they shut off this, this, this ward, and they put him way at the end of the hallway, okay? Well, somebody looking for his sister opened the door, you know, at least 10, 15 yards away, and... And, and, and there was a sign on the door, don't open, but he didn't read it. This is in Germany somewhere. He opened up the door and the doctor happened to be with a patient and yelled at this guy and said, shut the door. And he shuts the door and he dies of smallpox just when that little, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it gets worse. So then after the doctor leaves and he's told, the patient is told, do not open the windows, but he gets hot, I guess, or something. So he opens, this is in a cold German winter. He opens the window just to crack just a little bit. <clears throat> they tested this with smoke studies later. 
his breathing went out that window, went down the side of that wing, across the German cold ground, up this other wing, two flights, and it, and it went in the window of the student nurses there and killed six student nurses. Hmm. So, of smallpox, which is a, and when you have smallpox, it's a very classic, it's not like COVID. This is a disease we recognize. When it's in full, yeah. it has a specific pattern of, of um, rash, and it, and it has a specific course, and it has, uh, you know, it, it's very classic once you but see the, it. The thing with these stories is, though, like, it's really hard to, to verify because, you know, you hear these, you, with, you know, well, without being there, it's like you, you don't know what else they were exposed to, you know. I mean, I, I believe that, that we only get sick from toxic, toxic exposures, right? Um, so I don't know. It's kind of easy to hear, like, stories from way back then and say, like, oh, well, this person died and this person infected these people and you know we don't really know what happened in all the like in between moments well i and, get it yeah and even talking about to... smallpox it's like well have they even found it you know we talk yeah. about smallpox but like where where is it you know they right. haven't isolated no it. i i i get the point but the, the mm -hmm. fact is that there are diseases that transmit in certain ways that break out in certain ways and that's what we've observed yeah. as physicians and scientists for for you know generations and most of them we've sorted out as to being, you're right, they're being, you know, um, I, I can, for example, the polio thing, okay, we've assumed it's a virus. I, I can buy that being a toxin. I can buy that being yeah. DDT. It, it fits, okay. But, but th th these stories of smallpox are kind of too classic and they're too widespread. And I heard a historian, this is one thing we don't do in medicine anymore. We're taught to just believe 30-year double-blind studies. But what they used to do is say, believe patients' stories. I mean, to listen to patients and get a sense when you hear enough patient stories of a, of a process of something that's happening. And that's how, that's how disease was researched in the past. And if you look all around the world, there are these stories of things breaking out. Now, the, what my point is, is there may be when you, what, I mean, we could, again, exosomes and viruses. What, what if when you get, you have, you get toxic with something and we can call it toxicity. You get toxic and you give off this genetic, this genetic stuff that we call exosomes and it, it goes out of you and it, 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 it gets on surfaces and it, and it, people contact it and then they can get it through their skin and get sick because it's a, it acts like a genetic poison. I don't know that that's mm -hmm. not true. I'm just saying that there's in history, this is interesting that in history, they purposely don't look at somebody's overview of things as as being as truthful as if they can pick up a hundred different accounts of the period by individuals because a lot of people are not going to be all lying in unison from different areas and different you know what i'm saying so so those anecdotes add up to something well i agree we're faced with the fact that we are looking but we shouldn't discount anecdote we need to figure out we need to go sure. back in time and really study those anecdotes of smallpox and see if there's another explanation. Have you, you know, looked through the, I know I did a little bit of researching into that and during like the time of the conquistadors when there was a major out, outbreak um, and there was a lot of like mining going on. They were forced to do mining um, and they came in contact with things like cinnabar, I believe it is, and, and other like uh, toxic minerals. And if you look at exposure to cinnabar, and all the other minerals they came in contact with looks an awful lot like smallpox. So, right. And, it, and, it, yeah. and again, it could be, it's these, mm -hmm. it's, this story doesn't fit that. And that's the problem is these mm -hmm. very, but, but again, 
I'm not saying that isn't made up. That isn't made to fit. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I, I got to say this whole thing goes way back. We, we've been as I give a talk now on the genetic, the DNA war against humanity. This thing goes back a long ways. And I don't know. But that's the one that I have to talk to Kaufman and those guys about some more because <laughs> yeah. and I got to look into it some more because I just again, the blanket story there again could be a toxin. Right. Yeah. I get it. The, the Indians in America. But th that story just always haunts me, the one that I just talked to you about. And it's not the only one that's kind of like that. But you're right. It, it can be something that's and that's again, most of the time, that's what we found out. Cholera, they used to talk about the bad vapors, right? that people were getting sick in, in these uh, European cities of cholera and they thought it was in the vapors. It turned out to be water, bacterial toxins. So again, the, I- A lot I'm, of like Ebola is like, yeah. It's a lot of like oh, toxic yeah. water, yeah. And then again, and now the other, the other point I'll make is, the other thing that, that I've come to believe, and this isn't just from the COVID outbreak, but in general, you know, we've coined a term since the mid eighties that we never had before that I can find. And that is emerging infectious diseases. And the, and the, the kind of the narrative is that, Oh, we paved the Kinshasa highway in Africa. And we've uh, you know, people have encroached on lands where there were never human inhabitants before. And suddenly without any other thing happening, all these diseases are coming out of the deepest African jungle and affect and infecting humans. And around the world, we're now seeing uh, because of these dirty wet markets and things, avian flu coming to humans and all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm telling you, you know, I don't think those things exist. And it's interesting that the emerging infectious diseases story in Africa all started when we were down there helping the South African defense fo uh, force, uh, not officially, of course, in this bioweapons program called Project Coast. And it was horrific. I mean, they were trying to decrease the black population in South Africa, mm -hmm. but they came up, one of the things that they were really working on was contact pathogens. In fact, one of the examples I always give is that they came up with a poison that they poisoned this guy's shirt. They wanted to assassinate this guy. They poisoned this guy's shirt, hung it in his closet, but unfortunately he lent it to somebody. So it poisoned, it did work. It killed that guy, but it was, so it was proof of concept, but it was the wrong victim. So they were working on things like that. And they would, they would literally take um, native black Africans out, tie them to trees and experiment them on them in the deepest jungle. You know, Africa is great for this because nobody can see, nobody's paying attention, right? Yeah. USAID and these companies, these NGOs that go out to do all these good stuff. I think they're deep in their eyeballs into um, so, some of this stuff. And the, the point being that we didn't talk about emerging infectious diseases until the mid eighties. We talked about tropical diseases and those tropical diseases were by and large like parasites and some of these other, you know, uh, virus-like diseases, but they weren't, we didn't have all these things like Ebola and Zaire and stuff. It was just starting to be an issue. And I think that a lot of these things we're going to find out are man-made. They're man-made pathogens. So they may not, we don't know exactly all the details, but it, it doesn't strike me that this is all. And I used to hear this from older physicians that I used to think were just crazy. Um, that they would talk about how it was when we went over and vaccinated for smallpox that the HIV started and things like that. Well, you know, uh, could be. There's a lot of stuff now that we're finding out that, that and, and I watched it with this one, with this, this mouse study in Australia called um, uh, Self-Disseminating Vaccines for Emerging Infectious Diseases. 
this is a perfect people should look into that it it was the idea that you can make a a, a vaccine that will shed on other animals and sterilize them and then they will shed again on other animals but it's by touch it's not airborne Hmm. again if you look at the and if you the same thing with this when you look at this um what these things are really called that we're being given and told their vaccines are called viral based genetic therapies but the way they worked is they 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 inject them into you and then they the, the in 2015 the FDA sent a circular to their people saying this stuff is shedding on people just be aware this is what and it's toxic nanoparticles of some sort i've yeah i've heard that that theory and it's like i don't know i can't make heads or tails of it it just it seems kind of like a stretch to think that uh you know, something injected into somebody would come out intact and then to like the degree that it would harm somebody else. And I I feel like we would see, you know, like a whole lot of havoc, you know. Well, I think we are. I don't think that's just theory. I mean, they studied it and here's what they told you to do. And this is both the the European Medical Medicines Agency and the FDA. This paper came out in 2015. I keep it on my computer also because I don't want them to scrub it, but it was their, what they told their researchers was these, these DBGTs and keep in mind, we're in the age of synthetic biology. So what you're talking about is naturally occurring stuff. Okay. What I'm talking about is what we can do when we put together psychopathic bioweaponeers with our mm-hmm. vaccine industry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're certainly we don't know what they're really up to. Right. Yeah. But yeah. What's, what, what we know for sure is that you can synthesize genetic material and customize it. And we also know that we can make customized lipid nanoparticle containers that can be, tar- that we can target into different areas of the body that we can change the properties of. We could make it linger on surfaces. We, we can do lots of things with it. And I'm, Again, that's about the level of my understanding, but we could do those things. So what they're saying in this brochure to the FDA or the FDA put out said, look, we've noticed we've been having a lot of reports. When you give these people these BBGTs, these viral based genetic therapies, and these are designed to be cancer therapies and um, gene therapies. We are noticing that they're 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 shedding something onto people near them that is toxic. We don't know if it's, quote, viral. We don't know if it's, um, if it's genetic or some recombination. Now, personally, I'm, I think it's great that they, they, they were willing to, to do all that and still put this stuff out to the entire world when they didn't really understand this. But it's what, what my point is, is how did they tell the researchers to further evaluate this? Well, first of all, they said, we recommend protecting neonates and the elderly and the immune compromised. So they knew it was doing something bad to people that didn't have a great immune system. And the second thing is they did not tell you to catch breath. They told you to look at fluids. They wanted you to sample all sorts of fluids, body fluids, sweat, saliva, tears, that kind of thing um, for, for this stuff to see if this stuff was shedding onto it. And um, you know, now, Again, here's where we get into the world of, of electron microscopy and all sorts of junk. But they claim that when they when they really examine some dead people with with COVID, and uh, that this that this these nanoparticles, these spike proteins, were in their um, in their sweat glands, all over their sweat glands. Now, how did they know that? You know, they were talking about a submicroscopic particle. 
So, you know, again, this is this is where this you could see a lot of things under electron microscopy. We don't know what it is, but we do know in that situation, you know what a normal sweat gland looks like with an EM and you know what this looks like. So it's so they 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 at least felt there was something that was coming out of the sweat glands that was not in normal people, Mm. normal dead people. So. You know, I mean, and again, you're right. We, we, we're kind of in the dark about a lot of this stuff. But it's interesting how we have easily assumed a lot of stuff. That, yeah. Like the lawyers would say, this is an a, assumption of, of evidence that's not, or assumption not, of facts not in evidence. You know, yeah. we all assume that this has been well worked out. But when you go back in time and you actually look at it, it's like when I really looked at that first paper about COVID, how they came up with the genome sequence. Right. It's just a nightmare. It's a logical nightmare. You don't have to be a geneticist to to realize the fault here. You know, you're given, you, you don't have any gold standard. You're using, you have no test. First of all, I want to make this point. We vaccinated our whole military based on this story. And that should be just a warning right there. This doesn't make sense. This is a war that's being waged against us. And it's it's counting on us not paying attention. And we didn't. Or if the people that did let it happen. So in, with all our defensive posture and all our great weaponry, these guys slipped under the wire and they, they took out our military potentially with a so-called vaccine that was derived from one Chinese patient that they claimed had COVID at a time they had no test for it. They had not done an autopsy and they had, they had uploaded a genomic sequence that was made from an incredible stretch of logic. And they never validated that the sample they used even had a virus in it. Right. I mean, that's, there's so many, there's, it's long, it's wrong on so many levels. I tell people when you really look at how they, they create these genomic sequences, it's like you were putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you, the only thing you know is that you, you know that it's, you think because you've had experience with SARS and MERS, you think this jigsaw puzzle is about 30,000 base pairs or 30,000 pieces. That's all you know. You don't have a box picture. <laughs> you know, you don't have a picture to look at. You have no gold standard and you have no edge made. Okay. And somebody dumps 57 million because that's how many of the, of the PCR derived fragments that they got. They got 57 million fragments, less than 150 base pairs long, dumped onto your table that you're now going to make this puzzle on. And you have to choose what goes into this 30,000 piece puzzle. Are you kidding me? You know, you can make anything out of that. I could fit together anything and make it all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. It's and then really- they tell me there are variants? Are you kidding me again? I mean, if you don't have a thing, you can't have a variant of a thing. Exactly. So yeah, and it, they have millions, millions of variants to go on. It, it defies <laughs> logic. And, and, and what doesn't defy logic is the absolute correlation between the vaccine rate and the rate of illness right now, okay? Mm-hmm. In, 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 in this, my favorite is the Belgian can, you know, can convention or the Belgian contingent at the South Pole. 25 Belgian researchers go to the South Pole. And I was in the Navy and my friend was one of those guys chosen to be the doctor at the South Pole one year when they went her over. And trust me, these guys are screened, they're isolated, and they go there and they don't see a soul. They don't even, they might get plane drops, but a lot of times they don't even have, they don't see a plane for months because you can't get in or out because of the weather. 
So these 25 people go to the South Pole and they're isolated, but they've been fully vaccinated. They've been, you know, tested up to the yin yang, presumably isolated like they normally do. And they go there. Two thirds of them now they say have COVID. Okay. (laughs) Now compare that to Africa. There's another headline in the news. Oh, um, scientists baffled that Africa has the has the lowest rate of COVID, even though they also have the lowest rate of vaccination, oh, you know, less than six yeah. percent. We're baffled. No, <laughs> the simplest explanation is the virus is not the problem; it's the vaccine. The so-called vaccine is making people ill, and it's killing people. It's very. It's a. It's that's the simplest. It's, nature tends to favor the simplest explanation. Usually, is the best one. And that is the simplest explanation. The more you vaccinate, the more people get sick. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought pumping people full of toxins might cause a detox? (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, exactly, exactly. Now, I will say, now, so right now we're in this whole flu-flu about the, uh, and and Dr. Artis is my friend, so this is not against him. I want to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a really smart guy, and he does his research. So I, but I never accept stuff without doing my own research, like, like the thing, the only thing I accepted, the one I got snookered on was believing there was a virus here that we'd actually isolated and had a genomic sequence for. That's not my field. So this is the problem in science. And this is how we've accepted a lot of nonsense. Because I kept saying, why, what are the PhDs in virology studying if there are no viruses? Well, the fact is, they accept that other people did their job, and it was consistent and made sense steps one and two, and they jump in at step three and four in the scientific world, they don't realize that the big lie is at step one and two. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's, that's kind of where I was. I, I, you know, I realized this was not what they, they weren't telling us the truth. I realized in February of 2020, I said, this is a bioweapon. This is what these guys showed based on these. The one thing we do have for sure is the genomic sequence of the S1 subunit, because that's very short. That we can actually sequence. This big thing, this 30,000 base pair thing is the big lie that it's, it's, it's on this like little unicorn that fly, floats around this 30,000 base pairs. That's the lie. <laughs> yeah. But so here we have a now addition that this thing that's coming out that it's about this, that this has cobra venom. And it's uh, now so I, I, I get I think I get how how Dr. Artis got here. And I, I go back and I try and check the work. And I looked at a bunch of articles since he started talking about this. So I do think there's an issue, but I think some of this is misheard song lyrics, and I think some of it is is unnecessary fear. The first thing to say here is that we have in nature, humans have some of these uh, cobra-like, these venom-like, not just cobra, but these venom-like particles in our chemicals in our body that we use against certain oxidative stress states. It, we actually produce it. We have gen, we have genes in our body that produce this stuff, and it's in response to a certain disease. But what what the study done in Arizona? It was two uh, groups of people. The people that had what they called mild COVID. And keep in mind, we still don't have a test that can isolate for sure that you have anything. We we don't really know the disease we're talking about. But we presume these people have this syndrome of symptoms that is consistent with what we call COVID and they're mild. And then we have this group over here that are really, really sick and dying, trying to die. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that this group that was really, really sick had a much higher level of these chemicals that are homologous. They're not identical to, but they are homologous to certain genetic fragments and certain 
parts of, 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 of venom. Now, this isn't, it's not really new. That's stuff that we've used in pharmaceutical research. Venom from all sorts of species, animals, scorpions, you know what? It's been used in pharmaceutical research forever. Mm-hmm. And there are dr- drugs that are used. I mean, and, and he, it is true. But here's the thing that is true that I hadn't been thinking about until he brought this out, is that certain of these drugs, like the blood pressure drugs, the way they work is to block some of this ACE2 pathway, which is the way COVID makes you sick. It attaches to this ACE2 pathway, this toxic nanoparticle that we call COVID, that we call, you know, the, the spike protein, the S1 subunit of the spike protein of whatever. Mm-hmm. That exists, and that seems to attach in a genetically um, targetable way to the spike, to the ACE2 pathway. So you've got a, you've got a p- pathway in the body that does sodium reabsorption, which is why it's a blood pressure control thing. And that's at the heart of the disease that, that is due to, so I think we should, see, I think when we co- talk about COVID, what we really should not talk about COVID, we should talk about three things. We should talk about, or maybe four things. We should, we should realize that the syndrome of COVID could be caused by uh, spike protein syndrome. Let's call it that. It could be EMF toxicity. It could be graphene oxide toxicity. Yeah. It could be, uh, you know, something else. But it's, it's, it's not, and shedding from a, this nanoparticle. So I do think there was something that started it, which was a bioweaponized nanoparticle. But that may not be anything what we're seeing now, okay? <laughs> that may not be what we're dealing with. How, I wanted to ask, how, how do they validate this thing with the, the ACE2 receptors? Has, have they even validated it? Because I know a lot in their, you know, a lot of times in their, their version of science, they kind of just come up with an equation and they say like, oh, this is an ACE2 receptor. Or I don't know, how, how is that actually validated? Well, again, um, I, I can't exactly tell you that, but I can tell you that they, they have, I mean, it's just like we have insulin receptors. I don't think there's a debate that we have receptors or not. We have, mm-hmm. we have sodium pumps. We have iodine pumps in the body. We have certain chemical processes we know happen. And one of them is sodium reuptake. Now, there's ways of then, you know, calculating the, the efficiency of these pumps or these these pathways and so I, I think that's what we're talking about i think they can actually again it's probably not it doesn't have to be something like it's an elevator door that things go in and we can see it it's not like that but mm-hmm. it's a it's a functional it's just like chemical pathways we can run and you know we know that chemi- we can in chemistry basic chemistry you can follow the rate of chemical reaction. So they can kind of do, they, they can do that with these, these pathways and they've identified certain, certain uh, areas that, that are resultant, the result that, that are, I don't know how you say it, that cause that pathway to have happen, that cause mm-hmm. that reaction to happen. Yeah. And I can tell you, so for example, people that, a friend of mine, Ralph Barrick actually talked about this. He said that and he was taking this bat genomic sequence and playing with it and, and, you know, adding things to it. And that's what happened. I mean, this is, this is a combination of they, they inserted genomic sequences into a, into a bat genome, genome sequence, whatever, we don't have to call it a virus. It can be whatever. They took genomic material, genetic material out of bats. They manipulated it in such a way 
and they've always liked bat genetics. And, and I've always wondered, what's the deal with this? And, and coronavirus, what they called coronavirus genetics. And I think it's because it's kind of the, they're easy for them to, to manipulate and understand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know what I'm saying? Not all of our genome is understandable. Not everything, but they can, they can isolate certain things. The other thing is that they're able to know that certain people have a, have a better binding of this spike protein to their ACE2 pathway. And they've actually worked out the, the electromagnetic. Again, this is the basic of biochemistry. So I, I don't think of it so much as a, as, a, as a physical entity as it is a chemical entity. And those pathways, I mean, those chemical reactions, you, they can measure. And they're showing that it, it, it works differently in different groups of people. So it's targetable. And that's what they've been talking about for a long time. So I forgot what the point was. Oh, so, so it turns out that this, what, what, there are some things in this spike protein. Again, the S1 subunit is, that is definable. It's only 181 base pairs. We can, we can show that. And it's not just, that's, that I think exists. I, think, I don't think the we- spike can, protein? It's it's a genetic sequence. I, I asked Andy Kaufman about that. Yeah, and he he says there's only one study that claims to have found spike proteins, and it was kind of like iffy. So well, that's the spike protein. Okay, yeah. I, I get it, but that's not you know the problem with the problem with this whole thing about this this big virus thing is that you can only measure short segments. Okay, we can only measure very short segments, but we can measure short segments, and we can we can we can calculate those. In other words, this is like the difference between the 30,000 puzzle and a 200 puzzle Mm -hmm. and a 200 puzzle where you only have maybe, you know, 350 pieces. So we can do that. It's not, it doesn't mean that it's a naturally occurring. It doesn't mean it's a virus, but it is, we do have, we, we admit we have DNA, we have genomes, you know, Mm -hmm. we have genes. We can, we can, we see, we understand that to some degree. Mm -hmm. The, The problem is that, now we can take this short and, and, and the other thing I will tell you is you can actually buy the S1 subunit uh, online. You can actually purchase a solution of this. Apparently I saw it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So they can take this stuff. They can inject it in the tail of a rat and it can produce all the clinical aspects that we see pathologically in people dead of COVID, you know, perivascular damage and all the different organ stuff. They've, they've done this in mice and they've said, aha, so all you need, you don't need all this other stuff, but the S1 subunit, if, if it's injected, it reproduces the syndrome pathologically. Hmm. That, 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 that I believe. Uh, we have pathology. We can look at, we can look at slides. This is, mac, this is microscopic, not EM stuff. So something exists that they've manipulated. And one of the things that turns out that this, this, this pathogen has that SARS and MERS, which are also probably man-made, didn't have, is this furin cleavage site that 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 separates the S1 and S2 subunits. And when that happens, it turns out there is a 
there is a small sequence. And well, again, now we're talking like six and eight base pair sequences. We can deal with those. And these small sequences do have, they are like, they are like venom. They are like sequences out of various venoms. That's about what I know. Now, my point is to people before everybody, the problem is people are running around panicking because of this whole issue of the water. Let me just say something about that before I forget. Yeah. yeah. Because I looked at this for years about what are real threats to living in our life in America? What are we really going to be threatened with? Are we really going to be threatened with nuclear attack? Well, it turns out, by, I, I said, I did discounted that in favor of biologic because biologic attacks are much more likely to be a problem and much more cost effective to do and much more stealth. It's harder to stop, which I think I was right about that. But then the issue is, um, uh, no, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, the water supply. The issue water. is how you, how you, how you dispense the, the biologic attack. Okay. Well, think about the, the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh years ago. They wanted to influence the election in that little town in Oregon. They were a cult up in Oregon. They wanted to take over the town. And so he had a nurse that was his second in command, and she ordered off the internet, believe it or not, in those days, which became illegal later. I think she ordered um, salmonella. It was either salmonella or E. coli, I'm forgetting now, but one of those two pathogens. And they, they, didn't, they didn't put it in the water supply. Why? It's just too hard to do. They put it in, in, in a salad bar at a restaurant that everybody went to on Sundays. And they got enough people sick. And the idea was we'll get enough people sick that on Tuesday they won't be able to go and vote. And then we'll outvote them and then we'll own the town. That was their, mm -hmm. that was their goal. It was the first biologic terrorist attack on U.S. soil that we know where, of. Where was this? It was in a little town in Oregon. And I can't remember. But you can look it up. It's the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. <laughs> and he, he, had, he was famous for having a fleet of golden Mercedes. And da, 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 da. But anyway, he had all these cult followers. And they it's wanted to take over. It's interesting. I mean, because it, it just like conflicts with so much I've learned in, in terrain theory. So I'd, I'd love to like really well, look Well, no, but into this is bacterial. This I don't think terrain theory says you're not going to get sick if I put a bacterial toxin in your salad, does it? Well, I mean, that's yeah, a toxin, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what a bacterial toxin is. Well, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. This is like when you get food poisoning. When you get food, yeah. I mean, we, you'd agree we get food poisoning, right? Right, but that's toxic food from my understanding, right? But it's bacterial toxins, okay? okay. It's mm -hmm. because staphylococcus, so, so there's different types of food poisoning. And one of the ways we sort out where it came from and how it came from is the time course from the time people eat it to when they get sick. And so- like salmonella, and also how much you need. If you eat egg products that are contaminated with salmonella, you can get sick, okay? It's a bacterium that gives human sickness. There's no question about that. But it takes a bunch of those bacteria to do it. Whereas shigella, you can contaminate food with shigella, and it just a few of those little bacterial, I got, I got shig shigellosis one time, I think, in the emergency room from taking care of a guy with dysentery. This is what causes, these are the diseases that cause dysentery around the world. And I'm not, I'm not debating that one. I mean, I don't, I don't, in my own mind, I don't think there's a question that bacteria can make you sick because this is abnormal. Keep in mind, it's not that terrain isn't important and that terrain is, is, is key in whether or not you survive and you 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 don't survive, but you can toxify people. If I put if if the salmonella if the staff gets into the food right, it makes a preformed toxin, and so you get sick within hours. It's the staff in the in the onions and the mayonnaise in the salad bar. If it if it gets contaminated with staphylococcus, 
will produce a toxin that's there when you eat it. Okay. Now, now other things produce a toxin later after you eat it. Mm-hmm. Again, I agree. It's not, it's not, this is different than saying that there are bacteria that live in, with us in commensal bliss and we shouldn't look at them as bad guys. Okay. Right. But there are, to, there are toxic bacteria that produce toxins that make you sick. That's the problem. They do exist out there. And yeah, so it's my understanding that the back de- the bacteria is a response to toxins. So well, bacteria, some are. Right. So how do you know it's not like the bacteria is not responding to a toxin that's already present and it's not I mean do, is it the bacteria making us sick? That's the whole question, you know, with with well, terrain and and germ Well, theory. okay, it may not be the bacteria that are making you sick. Mm-hmm. But if but if this bacteria puts out a toxin that you then eat, it makes you sick. And mm-hmm. if the bacteria is not a naturally is not something you normally have in the body and produces a toxin that can make you sick, that's what we think shigellosis is, mm-hmm. and 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 salmonella. So um, it's not the bacteria going all over you; it's that it's making a toxin that's making you sick, and that happens within you, not just in the salad bar. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. Now, my point my point being is that they're worried about them taking this toxic nanoparticle and putting it in the water supply that was this whole watch the water thing and i'm just saying it is very hard to use the water supply in a first world country in any way for a bioweapon i'm not saying it couldn't be done but it would take a lot of doing because number one we're not all connected so if somebody were going to actually do what they're worried I don't want to, and I'm saying this because I just want everybody out there panicking, right? I mean, people are just going crazy. They're calling. I've gotten a hundred calls, you know, in the last yeah. couple of days. You just can't, you, you know, text and everything. What are, have you seen this? What are we going to do? You know, no, no, no. Just don't panic here, guys. Okay. Yeah. The first thing to say is that the water supply is locked down for the most part. I mean, you can't just walk into a water treatment plant and just put something in it. You would have to bribe the people. Okay, so if unless they're willing to be and you can't you can't mix it with fluoride, as I've heard suggested, because you're talking about a biologic agent, it would be denatured by the the, the toxic. The one good thing about the poisons that they're already giving us is that it is toxic. (laughs) Okay, to any other poisons. Okay, but 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 what could be done? And this this has been looked at. This is called the I think it's called backwash. The problem is, is that everybody's house is hooked up to the to the water system. And if you disturb the pressure gradient, if you back pressure something, you can push something from an outpost, like a, like a, a fire hydrant or somebody's, presumably, I guess, somebody's house. I would think it would it'd be more effective from a fire hydrant or some open main, mainline water pipe, like something that goes up into the standpipe, for example. You could put something there and you could pressurize it backwards and then it would distribute through the, the system. If that's possible. But again, are they going to do it in uh, Carroll, Iowa? I don't think so. You know, in other words, you might be able to get a few people sick in New York City. You might be able to go to a big urban area and t- target it. But as a general thing across America, you'd have to target every little place and you'd have to do it in a way that would negate their 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 filters and their backwash pressure barriers. I mean, a lot of these places have fairly, they realized this after 9-11, this was a possibility, and they've really kind of beefed up their, their security there. And then how much would you have to put in? Okay. I, I mean, and I haven't figured this out completely, but there's just in a small town, the water tower that gives you pressurized water, it's huge. It's got a lot of gallons in it. Yeah. And your pipes, they have a lot of gallons in it. And 
to make you sick with even cobra toxin would take you know five five milligrams or something of the toxin i mean it's i i the the ld50 of cobra toxin is something like 0.125 milligrams per kilogram i mean you can drink you can drink cobra venom and snake venom and be totally fine though is the thing right i mean i've watched people drink it on like youtube and stuff yes and that's the other thing is the route of admission administration makes a difference so when they do when they do these toxic LD50s, they're really talking about injecting mice. An injection is, you know, like, because they're thinking about if a, if a snake bit you, they're trying to do studies like in Thailand is one of the places that has a lot of poisonous snakes and in India and these places. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what is, what's going, you know, how we best can counteract this. And uh, I was stationed in the military in North Carolina with the Marines and, and possibly due to the Marine Corps, but also just in general, North Carolina has orders of magnitude, more snake bite envenomations than any other state in the union. You would have thought of in Texas, you know, famous for the rattlesnake roundups. No, every poisonous snake known to mankind in America is, 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 is represented in North Carolina and they get, uh, a lot of envenomations. They, I think it's they have, whereas Texas is 1.4 envenomations per hundred thousand per year. They used to North Carolina used to be 14 or more. So it was like 10 times the next lowest person or the next lowest state. So they knew a lot about that. And and so uh, uh, snake venom, I mean, is toxic. But even then, very few people die of it. You have to get quite a bit of this stuff to die. But we look when we look at the LD50, which is the what, what is the uh, amount you would have to take that would kill 50% of the animal that you're studying? So in mice, the LD50 for cobra venom is 0.125 milligrams. I, I looked it up. I mean, it's really a small amount. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a reasonable amount if it'd be for humans, but it's not for generalizing to a population. I mean, if I gave you, I could give you five milligrams, but that would be still a pretty whopping dose. Most people do not get that even when they're envenomated by a snake. Yeah. And we're still talking about injecting it, right? We're, and we're still talking about injecting it. Yeah. So when you're talking about it being in the water, now there is a problem in the water. If they actually did this, you see, because these lipid nanoparticles were made to be absorbed through the skin and through your mucous membranes. That's how they designed this stuff. I do believe it was designed for that. So, um, so if you took, if it theoretically, I guess, if it were in the, in the tub, you took a shower, you took a bath, you could absorb some of it. But again, you'd have to put truckloads of this stuff into a water supply. It would be yeah. obvious to somebody yeah. if we're looking. I mean, I, I just don't, I, what, if I were going to worry about something, this is what I'll tell people before you run out and panic and quit showering. I don't want a world in which we all quit showering. <laughs> oh, no. um, don't drink bottled water. I don't drink it anyway. It turns out bottled water when they've done studies on it, um, it is worse than your tap water. If you filter your tap water with a good filter, you're doing better statistically than you will with any bottled water you buy. Mm. Uh, one of the worst ones that I used to think was the safest one was Avian, mm. you know, um, and, and Fiji water. I used to love Fiji water thinking that was <laughs> natural. No, it's one of the worst ones they, that when they tested them for, for toxins and stuff. No, I, uh, and I, and I'm not trying to don't, don't, please don't sue me Fiji water. It's not just you guys. It's the point is that everybody out there putting bottled water together, the standards for bottled water disclosure and testing is so much lower than city water. So you're better off with city water and just put it through a nice filter that gets rid of the fluoride and the other things it can get rid of. I've always heard that like bottled water, the plastics, I mean, they're, they're out in the sun a lot of times and they're being, right. like, they're getting plastic melted in the water essentially. Right. I mean, why would you, why would you do that? I, I stopped the second I 
It's oh, handy. No. I get it. It's handy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like grabbing uh, the Pepsi or something because it's handy. You know, it's not good for you. We all know that, but it's, it's handy. Right. So that's what we have to get out of the habit of doing is, is and then, then even think about it, though. You really have to make a concerted effort to do things right because everybody travels. We, we want to drink something in the car. What are you going to put it in? Well, when you put those transport things, they're often plastic. You know, at least they're not sitting in the sun. I mean, I, I haven't completely gotten rid of plastic, but I, and, and I got these like big, big um, Starbucks pretty cups. I'm kind of, I kind of am drawn to the, the, the prettiness. Okay. So I bought some of those. And when I get a drink in the morning, I put it in there and I carry it with me. But um, there's no perfect answer here, but, but probably bottled water is your, is your, if I were these psychopaths, I would put this stuff in bottled water. It's, neutral pH, presumably. And um, it'll probably last in there. It's a refrigerator. Who knows? I just wouldn't drink that. But you cannot practically, even the guys are saying, oh, you need to boil your water. Okay. Really? Are you going to not bathe in your water? Are you not going to shower in your water? You can't boil your water to keep clean. So it's not a practical solution. I, I don't think, and I don't think we need to stop doing that. Yeah, I don't think so either. And and just a, another comment on that whole the whole thing, you know, like throughout this two years, I've never seen anybody keel over in the streets or get sick. Like I've never been near anybody right. on the street sick. Homeless people have been fine. Right. Uh, so I mean, that's a that's a big thing for me. And I don't know where you're at on like the the numbers statistically haven't even really shown that. I mean, I'm not sure that anything really happened statistically. Right. Well, I can tell you those exact numbers. Um, yeah. and, and I think, uh, just give me a second. I'll, I'll just, I'll just do this because I have, oh. I have all sorts of numbers on this, but I, I looked at this and it was actually, they tried to hide this. It was hard to find this because they didn't want us to know the death numbers in 2020. So they tried to, um, you know, they tried to suppress it. Yeah. But what they, what, what, when you really look at this whole thing, um, hold on, what did I do with it? I opened it up wrong. Uh, okay. Well, Don, I can't. I'll give you the. I'll give you the about numbers. I believe the number in 2020 for mortality per uh, thousand was seven point. The total, and this is all cause mortality, because you don't want to look at. They can. They. You know, we've heard about oh, the motorcycle guy that died of COVID. They can massage numbers, and they can. Yeah. They can convert the heart attack to COVID and the COVID to heart attack, depending on what they want to do. The one thing that you cannot lie about really is all-cause mortality. How many people are dead? Because when you die, you generate a death certificate. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so they, so in, in 2020, they had 7.612 deaths per, per thousand in the world. That was the world death rate. Now that was lower than the death rate between 1955 and 2015. Okay, so where's the pandemic? Yeah, right. Now, it has gone up in 2021. Now, we don't yet have those numbers because, again, the World Health Organization, everybody's stalling on this stuff. We should have this is 2022. We should have when when you die, at least in America, that you get this stuff is electronically recorded. It goes up to a big clearinghouse. They should be able to tell you at the county and state level immediately what the monthly tally is right because it's all done electronically now there's no excuse here and yet you don't we don't have it on my county's electronic site the state doesn't have it because they're 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 using the cdc and they're stalling 
because they don't want us to see what's happening. The death rate in 2021, the year of the vaccine, you've heard from, you know, the actuaries are saying it's up 40 to 40 plus percent. Now we're hearing over 50 percent right. in the ONS data. It's over 47 percent. Germany's reporting 25 percent. Can't get it out of Israel yet. I mean, it's they're they're trying to hide it, but they're not hiding it. So we have a real problem going on. That is for real. Um, but no, you're right. 2020, the year of the great pandemic. In fact, our military only lost 20 people in all the services put together. Wow. And if you've been listening to what Tom Rents and people, um, Lieutenant Colonel Long has put out, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, she gave me the numbers a long time ago on myocarditis. And I can just tell you, we've lost 30 times the number of people to myocarditis than we ever lost to COVID. And that's just one diagnosis in the military. So yeah, the, 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 this is this was a takedown, and, and it wasn't by accident. This is a military-style takedown of the Western world. We're in a demographic nightmare now, and in fact, that's one of my goals. Is just I've been I've got a form, and I keep I just haven't had time. Every day goes by, I don't have time to do it. I need to upload this form to my site because I want to do a county mortality project where everybody can just go down to their county, and then we get counties from all over the country, and we can we can we'll we'll put them together as a data. Uh, we'll we'll run the data, but we just got to have people report to us um, so we can see is the mortality going up or is all cause mortality going down again. We'd like to see it that it went up and went down, but but right now we don't know. And unless we know it's going down, uh, we have no clue of how we project out from, in two years, five years. That's what we need to be able to do. And in, and just next year, I mean. Yeah. It makes a lot of difference if we're going to have 10% of our population gone in a year or 50%. You know, we don't know. It's and, amazing and then how we, much they've obscured. It's really Yeah, terrifying. they've obscured everything. So, yeah. and, and you know, I, I agree with you. See, I think the thing about terrain theory here to, in the big picture is there have been so many lies about infectious disease and nobody's really been making a deal about terrain. I mean, some people have, that was, that's the, the, you know, the holistic movement of make your immune system better correctly, not through vaccines. That's what this is all about. That's, that's what they don't want to talk about the terrain because they really want to support this whole vaccination issue, which is because they couldn't, in my opinion, this is just my opinion and you can call me crazy, but this is my opinion is that over a long time trying to control population, because they always think we're overpopulated, uh, you know, war is too messy and diseases just haven't worked okay they've tried i think they've tried spreading these diseases it just hasn't worked then they tried then they realized the only way we can do it is get under their skin we have to inject them with something and they haven't been able to do that because they haven't got us scared enough they tried with hiv oh everybody got an hiv vaccine no it didn't work hepatitis you, you know, even flu. I mean, they, they came close with flu in America. 67% of people were taking it, the flu vaccine. Well, mm-hmm. but around the world, that was not true. In Estonia, 5% of people were taking it. And we have the same death from flu rates, by the way, U.S. and Estonia. So it just was falling apart, the whole scenario. So now they had to get something scary to get everybody to have a universal vaccine. They've been talking about it forever. And that's the story. And you can't have, a, people won't buy vaccination in general if they really understand about the terrain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is the point. But I think yeah. sometimes we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are diseases of bacteria and there are diseases of parasites and there are things that do damage us. I think parasites is a huge lie. I can guarantee you that the president of Egypt and the rich people in Egypt are all being treated for parasites and that we are not. 
Now, why is that? Because they're hiding it. The parasitologists, you know, when infectious disease people, Egypt is a, is a hotbed of academic parasitology because they, they understand it over there. But we're ignoring it. We claim our animals have parasites, but we don't. What? No, it doesn't work that way. And so one of the problems is that we all have parasites and it's, and then it, it's all damaging our immune system. So when you talk about the terrain, one of the big points of the terrain is that we have an immune system that fights off disease. Well, as over your life, you get a parasite, that mother parasite will lay between 20 and 200,000 eggs a day. Mm. And what happens to those eggs? They get absorbed into you and your body has to fight them off with the immune system. And some of them it fights off and some of them get insisted. And over your life, it gets a little behind and you get more and more of these egg sacs in your body. Now, what happens is just like your computer, you're running, your, your immune system is like your computer speed, okay? And so now you're trying to do computer processing, but you've got 50 programs running in the back. So mm -hmm. you can't concentrate on this one and your computer gets sluggish. Well, as we get older, our immune system has got 50 programs running in the back trying to get these parasite egg sacs gone. That's called inflammation. Mm -hmm. This is how we go from like acne rosacea is, is parasites. If you get rid of, you want to get rid of your acne rosacea, you take a parasite medicine, get rid of it, the inflammation goes down. But if you don't get rid of it, what happens is a number of those people go on to lupus. Mm. There was just one of the things that we think of as an autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, a potentially fatal neurologic disease. A Dr. McDonald did 10 autopsies in 10 MS patients that died. 100% of them had parasites in the brain. Little nematodes that were making what we see as plaques on the M MRI is probably parasite damage to the nervous system. Think about that. So there's a, there's a simple thing that could have been done years ago. And in my lifetime, this has changed. I remember as a kid, they used to worm kids. They always wormed the, 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 and when I was growing up, I thought that was over. No, it turned out they were worming the farm kids, not us and that lived in town. So you see, it's only, we've been, we've been lied to and it's, the lie has really gotten very systematic in the last hundred years. So that now we, we are not doing what we could be doing. How many people would have survived this last season of COVID had they not had all this other junk in their body they're trying to fight off? Yeah. Well, there's so many, there's, yeah. this is a deep rabbit hole, this whole thing with parasites. There's so many, I'll tell you another thing that, 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 that an artist told me, and like I say, I, that's why I'm, I'm not disparaging his, his comments. He's, I, I listened to him before I, I might have some disagreements, but I listened to him because he pointed out that if you look in a microscope at tumors, and he looked at breast and colon cancer, I think, and then you look at a microscopic slides of parasite egg sacs, they look the same. In a lot of cases, they look the same. So he brought that up to an, an Egyptian parasitologist, and the guy looks at him and says, you know, in 30 years in parasitology, I've never heard an oncologist make that connection. But in parasitology, we talk about it all the time. So wouldn't it be a kicker if what we see as metastatic disease with these big lumpy kind of things are actually parasite egg sacs? Now we're hearing that 100% of cancer patients have parasites. Mm. You see what I'm saying? There's a, it, it's a huge thing, but it's, there's a terrain issue in spades. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting, right? Because if you talk to somebody like Andy Kaufman, he, you know, he believes parasites are, again, a response to toxicity, right? And like, 
we know cancer is, uh, you know, overwhelming toxicity in the body. So, I mean, it would just be so fascinating to kind of like, <laughs> I'd love to hear you guys talk. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, see, I'm with him on the viruses and specifically yeah. airborne, airborne transmission. I am completely 100% on that one. Mm-hmm. And on the nonsense of how they do genomic sequencing, this bioinformatics you know, it's it's based on a very sketchy concept. Not the not the not the ability to, you know, eventually you know do things, but the ability to dipstick goo in your lung with a very short PCR segment and then make that into a thirty thousand base pair virus. That's complete nonsense. Yeah. But parasites are not nonsense. I think parasites. We we can physically see them. We can physically see the damage they do. You can argue that they don't that people that are completely immune uh, competent don't get them, but it seems to me that everybody gets them. Mm. And, you know, when you take, and and when people have looked at this about how many people, and I'm going to look up those articles too. If you look at how many people are tested, they have parasites that have inflammatory disease. It's high. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of numbers. So we're missing what we're, what, Again, I, to me, this is the baby in the bathwater. Just because we don't believe that viruses exist the way we had doesn't mean there aren't other things that attack the human body. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, just simple stuff we know happens. Rickettsial disease, you get bitten by a, by a, a tick and you get Lyme disease, right? Or you get, you, get, you get spirochetes from getting syphilis from somebody else that had syphilis. Do we really not believe that happens? I, I got to say, I'm not, I'm not going there because I, I know think people those, who believe it doesn't. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, I, I think there's so much evidence for syphilis. I mean, we could, we can see the damage. We can see mm-hmm. the disease organism with the microscope. we not, we don't have to process it. We don't have to do all this stupid stuff they do for viruses. You know, this isn't where you have to grow it in some weird auger. We can actually take your fresh blood and look at it and see it. So I'm not buying that. I think the point is, you know, with all this is that we really need to study these things more, more closely and carefully outside of this like paradigm that they've created. Right. Absolutely. So we can kind of get to the bottom of it. Right. I'm, I'm willing to, to change my mind on, on anything if there's evidence and, and proof for it. Right. But we're not allowed, we're not allowed to do that so many times with the, with this, the scientific, uh, you know, kind of institutions as they exist. So I think that's that's something that we can all uh, strive for. Um, I wanted to ask you before before I let you go, um, wh- what do you think their next play is with the, with the whole COVID? Do you think they're going to bring back COVID in the fall, uh, or you know they they've got something else up their sleeve? What do you think? Well, uh, there's a video going around by James Giordano, and he's a real scary dude, by the way. He's the guy that teaches at the military academies and various different things about the brain as the new battlefield. And I, and this is right out of, you know, Charles Lieber and these guys that were working on connecting. He helped the Chinese and us connect the brain to electronic devices. We know that happens. We know we can do that now through this hydrogel and stuff. We also know that there are directed energy weapons. 5G was designed as a directed energy weapon. Sorry, not, not buying that. It's just, that's just, <laughs> conspiracy theory because we used it as a weapon in in iraq we used it as a denial of access device okay and because you could tune it in to hit your hit your follicles hit your hair follicles 
if some if you want to get people out of a plaza, you turn that thing on and you you with the right frequency and the right power, and it makes everybody in that plaza feel like they're on fire. If you know, because it's because it's Ooh. interacting with your hair follicle, a helical structure. Well, what other helical structure do you have? Which is my backdrop, DNA. Okay, so you can we know it can damage DNA. We know that if you put mice in a 5g environment their immune system is damaged we can watch this the, the white cells go down by 50 percent over five days of 5g environment so we know that there's this is a possibility so i think i think that um well i think right now we're in stage four of the war stage one was release of the something scary pathogen that made it you know the i think it was a toxic nanoparticle that was a contact pathogen but you know i could be wrong i don't think it was airborne that's for sure. I do not think it was airborne, mm-hmm. but something was out there, maybe with 5G added, that was killing people in a dramatic fashion early on. Whatever that was is different than what's happening now, quite, quite frankly. And um, but it got the whole thing rolling. But if you'd followed the death count on that, it would have come back down to zero. I mean, it was going down to zero when then they did the second part of this whole war operation was the psyop of false testing. And that generated false cases and got everybody afraid. So now you've got everybody's in fear. They're in isolation, classic psyops techniques. And then the third phase was get everybody that was now afraid and, and Stockholm syndrome kind of thing to run out and get a vaccine they knew nothing about that wasn't a vaccine that was, you know, a genetic device. And, and they could have found that out easily, but they didn't. They didn't. And then we were censored. So that's stage three. But stage four, now we're in the calm. And the calm here is where I think the big guys in charge of this show are sitting back, counting the deaths and watching what's happening. And they're figuring out what they need to do next. And I think the next place, one of the next place for sure, and I was warned about this a long time ago, um, uh, is food supply chain collapse. So right now they're coming to Nebraska and Iowa and they are murdering the chicken population on the basis of concern for avian flu Hmm. okay there's not been again this is where this lie of viruses is extremely important there's not one shred of evidence that some chicken disease comes out airborne and affects humans not one shred and yet we've talked they name it avian flu and they convince people because of a psyop and this is what james giordano talks about is that once you get a few people dramatically sick you don't need to, to distribute. This is why I don't think they're going to go for the water supply. You don't need to distribute to everybody else. All you need to do is make them afraid that they're doing that. And then you'll have the walking well come into the emergency room in droves and you'll overwhelm your system. And that's what I feel like this watch the water is going to do. Yeah. It's got people panicking. Okay. And that's why we need to dispel this notion that that's going on. It's not going on through your, your kitchen water supply. A lot of this stuff is really a mind virus. It's a mind game. And it's going to get people in this run to the doctor, run to the, you know, you're going to, people are going to get the least thing and they'll clog it up. That is actually probably the next play. I think it's the play is a psyop with something. And probably the something is turning on 5G. This I can't prove. I don't know. But I I think that the, um, 
the, the, there is the potential because we know for a fact, I tested people in my office with the vaccine voluntarily. I just asked for volunteers and they all said they would do it. Everybody that came in that had a vaccine, they, they'd let me test them. And I tested some people without vaccines just so I could say, yeah, I had controls, but I could, the control was the other arm. And I, and I literally, it was a paperclip test. I put a paperclip on and I saw if it stuck and then did I stuck on the, on the, on any place else. No, it's stuck. When people were vaccinated within a month, it's stuck on the vaccination site. Mm-hmm. Now, as time went on, it seemed like I had less positive cases because I think it was moving. You know, it was not sitting in the vaccination site, but mm-hmm. the, there was clearly magnetic particles with this. So they have stuff in there that could react with graphene oxide or I mean, like graphene oxide or some mm-hmm. spions, these super paramagnetic iron oxides. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that could be magnetic and could um, then interact with 5G in some way, which we don't know. But they're talking about, you know, there are patents now on this stuff that show that we don't, we can broadcast an SSID like your like your computer and or like a modem and can connect with other people potentially. I mean, they've got stuff out there talking about this. So yeah. I don't know where it goes, but I think it's going to be an electromagnetic thing with a with a it's too expensive and too difficult to really make bioweapons on a worldwide scale. They've done that. That was the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Because if you admit as you know, Prashant Pradhan et al., they published the paper showing the manufacture of the S1 subunit it had to be manufactured, had to be made up, had inserts in it that don't occur in nature. And that's part of this thing with, the, with, with creating the problem. So that was a, that was a man-manipulated bioweapon. And that's what they say is in the vaccine. They, they admit that. It says this will recreate in the human body the, the S1 subunit or the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's what they say. If that's if one's a bioweapon, the other's a bioweapon. So we've just been given the bioweapon. And depending on how many people took it, especially in Western civilization, we're in the demographic dying phase of the war, and we'll see, and sterilization phase, because that's also what we're seeing, is a horrible sterility problem coming on, mm. losing babies, stillbirths, Babies dying at five and six months. Lots of stuff that all cause mortality for you know, infants is is up. I mean that's the problem. And infants and and, and pregnant women. The, their own study was eighty three percent loss of pregnancies in the first trimester. That's four times normal. So we've got higher death rates and we've got higher higher period. Uh, uh, I mean more child mortality and pregnancy loss. So. Yeah, we got issues going on. So I think the next phase is going to be they're going to sit back and see what that is. And then I don't think they have to put out another bioweapon. I think they can just get everybody afraid and get in their cabin, I'm afraid. So we have to resist that. Yep. Fear is definitely a huge, huge issue. And stop them. From, but here's what you got to do right now. Realize we're they're going to come after your food. And the guy's name, I think, is Robert Cadlick. He's a guy down in Kansas. He, he was the head of something for Trump. Big, But he's been involved in the the Defense Threat Reduction Agency and all these things that the, the cooperative threat reduction, that's the, the, the guys under all these bioweapons labs over in the Ukraine and, and not just Ukraine, but Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all these stans that broke away from the Soviets. They all had our bioweapons labs in them. We went in there and under the guise of decreasing the threat to the world by helping with the nuclear disarmament and all this kind of stuff. And as part of that, we basically just took over those labs and ran them and experimented on the locals. There's no question about that. That's documented proof. But the, the, what, the, who knew? But that may be where this actual pathogen was developed. You know, Wuhan played a role. Winnipeg played a role. North Carolina played a role. It's all, it's, it's all over the place. But that may not have been where it actually came from. So we don't know. 
I'm just saying that that's those guys that did that are also the guys that are coming after our food supply. And um, people need to do not let them kill your chicken crop. Do not let them come and tell you that you can't raise cattle. Do not let them come on your farms. This is where the county sheriff makes a difference. We're going to have to stop them from murdering us through starvation. It's exactly what they did to the kulaks in the so in the in Russia when they took down the czar, and it's what they're going to do when they come for us. I, I know it sounds paranoid, but just because you're no, paranoid I, doesn't mean they're not out to get you. No, There's I agree historical with you. Precedent. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we can already see like, you know, the inflation happening and the food uh, prices have gone up. I mean, even like the, the halal carts here in New York City uh, have gone up two dollars, you know, yeah. <laughs> when they're they're super cheap, uh, usually. Uh, well, watch so, the egg prices, because yes, I, I you two. know, I'm in we are the number one egg producer, I believe, Iowa, maybe it's Iowa, and Nebraska. We're big chicken and egg producers. Mm. And Tyson Food, their their production line is now not not always running because and people are are not doing the hours they were doing before my neighbor works at tyson mm. um my local chicken processor he's saying business is way way down because they're they're killing the, the flocks yeah so yeah. hang on this is going to get ugly very quickly yeah all right well dr Merritt, thank you so much for for uh chatting with me today it was very very interesting talk and uh yeah thanks for your efforts and i i hope you you continue yeah, well, there's so much to learn. I'm kind of yeah. old to learn all this stuff, but well, I'm not trying. Maybe I can have you back with uh, Dr. Kaufman sometime. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and convince him about parasites. He needs to get warned. I'll tell you, tell him I said he, he needs a protocol. And I'm going to tell you, I, 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 it works. I, every, I can't tell you. Again, at the end of the day, we're clinicians, okay? Uh -huh. uh, I see people and I try and make them healthier. And it's actually changing people's lives to 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 go through a parasite protocol i've got it on my website themedicalrebel.com it's on the front page how to do it so, okay anywhere yeah, else people thanks. people can find you rebel Re, that's well, the, 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 the medicalrebel.com is the big one and then i'm on freedom doc and truth social i'm or i'm on telegram and truth social and it's freedom doc gotcha. and i do have the plague mask just for your edification <laughs> i thought okay. you guys would like that okay <laughs> right, sure all right, I'll let I'll let uh, Andy know, and uh, yeah, thanks again for stopping by. All right, see you. Thanks All so right, much. Take care. Good Bye. Job. The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. It is provided for informational purposes only. Alighton does not endorse nor accept responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions expressed by its guests.